Hi, I'm Joelle Hurst, um, and this is my oldest daughter, Talitha. And we've been a part of Encounter since sometime in the fall, um, I believe. We usually hide out in the corner over there um, next to the dog. But um, since they gave me a microphone, I'm going to take advantage of it for just a minute and say that it's been such a blessing to be able to come and be a part of this church. Um, we've experienced just a loving and welcoming um, embrace, and I'm really grateful, so thank you. We're going to be reading from Acts 7, 54, all the way to 8, 4. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears. And yelling at the tops of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep, and Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Acts 7:54 through 8:4. Thank you, Joelle and Talitha. You know, it's been encouraging as we have been walking through the book of Acts. Um, it seems that many of us have been, uh, maybe our desire to witness, hopefully, has increased. Uh, we've gained eyes to see the opportunities that are before us. And Lord willing, His Spirit has given us an extra bit of boldness and courage as we have stepped into some of these witnessing opportunities. And, and even I know it's been an encouragement to me to hear of uh, some of the opportunities that some of us have been stepping into. Last week in our discipleship class, Carl shared of, of him being able to encourage and uh, in some ways uh, witness to a gentleman, a utility worker who was there uh, at his house and uh, this morning, I've invited uh, Eli Kidd to come up and to share a witnessing testimony that he had uh, just from this week, a mission trip that he was able to take. Last time, if you remember, Eli was on this stage. He was debating on whether or not to drop the cable for $500,000 and let his dad fall over the cliff. Uh, but thankfully, David is still here with us. Uh, but uh, Eli is going to share uh, just about his experience uh, this week of witnessing. All right, morning, all. I'm Eli. I'm a freshman at UK, our University of Kentucky. Um, so, yeah, as he said, David's my dad. My mom's Allie. Not here right now. All right, so this week I had the opportunity uh, with the Baptist Campus Ministry at UK uh, to go on a mission trip. Now, we arrived in uh, Panama City Beach last Saturday. 
which is known for a spring break party scene. Uh, very common for college kids to go down, enjoy a couple nights, hanging out some bars. And well, very, very common for, for lots of DUIs. So we went down there. And we, were, uh, we started out doing some street evangelizing, our mission. So we were down there to do some street evangelism, walking around in groups of three to five, introducing ourselves, uh, talking about where we're from. And being from UK, we naturally uh, sparked some conversation about basketball. All right. So uh, some ways we were able to transition the conversation to be about Jesus was by asking about their faith background, or do you have a relationship with Jesus, or by talking about our surroundings. So there's one night where there's a group of uh, Turner Burners, which, for those of you that don't know, pe uh, big people that say they're proclaiming the word of God, uh, just big signs saying, sinners go to hell, repent from your sins. They were, they were trying to, to make people turn, turn to Christ, but, but they don't actually believe the word. They, they just believe that sinners go to hell, and they believe once you are saved, you don't sin anymore, which I don't believe to be true, and we don't believe to be true. Um, so I was able to spark some conversation about this with a guy from Kansas State. So in one specific situation, met this guy, Casey, from Kansas State, and I uh, asked him about what he thought about that. And he was like, well, I grew up as a Catholic, and, well, that wasn't what I was taught. I was taught that, that love is what Jesus is, and that doesn't seem very loving. And I agreed with him. I was able to remind him of the good news. He had, he had just met the night at uh, one of the bars right next to the subway that we were talking at now, and... I was able to remind him of the good news that, that Jesus made the world and came, descended and um, bore on flesh and shared the rest of the good news with him. Then we prayed together. All right. And then another portion of our mission trip, uh, we were doing van rides to, to help the people not do DUIs. Uh, <laughs> and so, in one of the rides, I met this girl, Summer, who's uh, from Vanderbilt. She, she grew up in, um, had a very, very tough life. She, well, she was taken advantage of as a kid. And then uh, following this, she spent some time in foster care. Eventually was adopted, I believe. Um, but, but through this, she said that she clung to Christ, clung, clung, uh, clung to the cross. She, she believed in Jesus, that, that he, he came to the world to save her. But, but since college has dwindled in her faith, this is pretty common. Uh, unfortunately, uh, there were a great deal of people just like this that I met that said, Oh, well, I kind of grew up in church since college. Well, you know, parties and whatnot. And I was just able to remind him of the good news, the gospel. And then we prayed together. She, she took it wonderfully, which is it's just it's so fruitful to see the great work that God does right where we are and, and can do just, just with the people right outside, that, that everyone wants to hear the good news. All right. So every night uh, before we evangelized, we had a little bit of worship, and uh, we heard a brief message. And uh, another part that I... Uh, learned gently from, or learned greatly from, was the prayer. We did some prayer walking. Um, so we, uh, we, the resort kind of that we stayed at was right near the beach. So one of the first nights we were there, we went around in groups of four, just walking up and down the beach, praying to Christ. And then on our way down, uh, we stopped at, was it the Parthenon in Nashville? We walked around. It was actually very cold. We were freezing, but we were walking around praying. So in total, it, it, I, I cannot express how greatly I am to God for these numbers. So in total, there were 4,866 conversations about the gospel. That many times that the gospel was shared through this trip. Over 3,500 people were prayed over. 3,500 people said, I am comfortable letting this 
group of Christians in a van pray over me, or these group of Christians walking around in the street pray for me. 1960 total pickups with 10,307 passengers. So that's 10,307 people we could have prevented from, from, from harming themselves out on the streets. And in total, there were 116 salvations. Our God is very good. Thank you guys so much. Yep. Thank you, Eli. Thank you, Eli, for sharing that and uh, just seeing those opportunities, right, and, and hearing from Eli. In fact, as Eli was sharing that, as far as the prayer walking, that is the first Wednesday of April each month we have uh, is, our, is our potluck and prayer evening. Uh, but this week we are going to, we're going to eat still, just to relieve some of you who are concerned that maybe we wouldn't eat that night, but we'll eat, but then we'll actually do some prayer walking in anticipation of our Easter service. And so that's on the first Wednesday of April here in just a couple of, of weeks. Uh, so we will be prayer walking, so bring your walking shoes for that evening. Uh, but thank you, Eli, for sharing. Praise the Lord, right? Sometimes, right, you just have to step into that. And, and go out there and ask the Lord to give us the boldness. I'm sure, Eli, there were probably times that maybe you feared or maybe there was hesitation to share the gospel out of the fear of rejection. Uh, I would say probably many of us. In fact, if we were to take a, by a show of hands, what's your greatest fear in witnessing? Uh, most likely the greatest fear is that we'll be rejected. That um, that maybe someone will will turn on us or or won't receive the message. And, and again, that's a, a fear that all of us share. Uh, I think a lot of us in those times when we fear that rejection, we maybe in our minds, we rehearse to ourselves um, what, what we've often been told is that when people don't respond favorably to the gospel, uh, that they're not rejecting us, but instead they're rejecting God. And again, that, that certainly uh, can be the case. I'm sure many of us still have friendships with people with whom we've shared the gospel to. Or maybe we have right, children that we have shared the gospel with and they've not rejected us as their parents or their grandparents. We're still friends with them. So that certainly is the case. There are, are many situations where we share the gospel and they are indeed rejecting God, but they've not rejected you. But at the same time, I think as believers in this world in which we live, there will be times when they both reject God and also reject you. In today's sermon, we are going to see a clear example of how the people rejected not only the message of the gospel, but they also clearly rejected the messenger too. And that's an important truth for us to remind ourselves that as we have that fear of rejection, that we should not be surprised when rejection does come. And it might show itself in many different forms and many different fashions. They might of all troubles, they might defriend you from Facebook. They might block you from Twitter, right? Or maybe they would even seek to fire you from your place of employment, right? I mean, from all ends of the spectrum, we have to remind ourselves that as believers, yes, they're rejecting God, but they will also reject us. And the big idea for this morning's sermon is this, 
as we're going to see, as we're going to cover a lot of territory this morning and in our, in our study this morning, is that the world will reject you, but ultimately, Christ will receive you. The world will reject you, but Christ will receive you. And we see this clearly laid out for us in Stephen's martyrdom. Last Sunday, Jesse did a great job helping us to see how these men who were changed by the resurrected Christ went on uh, to serve in the church and better organize the church for the purpose, of course, of caring for the needs of people. If we look back at chapter 6, verse 7, Jesse reminded us that uh, verse 7 there of chapter 6, it, it reiterates the, the growth of the church. Again, as we've been walking through this teaching series in the book of Acts, we see that Jesus ascended back up into heaven and he said, now go and tell people you've witnessed this. Now go and tell people and, and people are believing in this Jesus, in this resurrected Jesus. And again, the church is growing, it's growing, it's growing. And in verse 7 of chapter 6, where Jesse ended last week, Uh, We read these words. It says, so the word of God spread under the organization of the apostles and the and the deacons, the word of God spread. And it says the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. We see that we've been learning how this good news of of Jesus resurrection is spreading through these faithful witnesses we know that as we've, as we've learned that Jesus' instruction there in chapter 1 of the, bur- of, of, of the book of Acts, Jesus gave the instruction. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so this is, we're witnessing, we're learning how this is taking place, how, how the gospel, the witnesses, is spreading out like, like concentric circles. It's, it's spreading out from Jerusalem, on and on and on. But as it spreads out, what we are noticing is that the opposition is becoming more and more fierce. We're noticing that the opposition against this movement of Jesus, against these witnesses, it's growing. That as more and more people believe in Jesus, Jesus' opponents are digging their heels in even deeper. And it's important for us, this is an important point for us to note that we might touch later on in the sermon. It's important for us to note that many priests, we see that there in chapter, in chapter 6, verse 7 that I just read, that it says many priests are becoming obedient to the faith. Right? Those who once were inside members of the Cool Kids Club from a Jewish religious uh, perspective, right? These, some of these priests even are becoming obedient to the faith. They too are believing in Jesus' resurrection and they are living out Jesus' commands. And so the campaign against these believers, the campaign against their message, it only intensifies. No longer were the religious leaders going to just simply reject the message. But now, as we'll see in our study this morning, the religious leaders are going to be rejecting the messengers too. Again, the big idea for our sermon today and the lesson for us in, in this world is that the world will reject you too. The world will reject you. 
But we'll see that Christ ultimately will receive you. We must not be alarmed when the world rejects us. But instead, we should be assured that Christ will receive us. And if in the end, if Christ receives us when it all is said and done, then what does it matter whether the world accepts or rejects us? Because Christ is there waiting for us. So we see here in the second half of chapter 6, we see all of chap- in all of chapter 7 in the opening verses that Talitha and Joel read a few moments ago that in, in those opening verses of chapter 8, these are important transitional verses in the storyline of the book of Acts. As we watch the witnesses now take the message beyond, beyond the city walls of Jerusalem. There it says, right, uh, that Joel and Talitha read there in verse four of chapter eight, it says those who had been scattered, they preached the word wherever they went. That now Jesus instruction of you will be my witnesses in all of Jerusalem. Now we're transitioning to and in Judea and Samaria. So we're kind of transitioning into that next stage of taking the witness. And what is the what's the primary motivation for taking it beyond the walls of Jerusalem? It's persecution. Like it, it backfires on the opposition is what, we're, is what we're seeing take place. It backfires on them. And so they take it even further out. So our study this morning, it's a fairly simple outline that you can follow along. Uh, we're going to see that the people reject Stephen. We'll then see in chapter 7 that the people ultimately, they, they did indeed reject Jesus And then at the end, we'll see how Jesus receives Stephen. We'll see the people's rejection of Stephen. We'll see the people's rejection of Jesus. But ultimately, what finally matters in the end is Jesus receives Stephen. And the same is true for us. So I invite you, let's go ahead and look back, starting in verse 8 of chapter 6. I'd like you to follow along with me as I read. Uh, through verses 15. This is where we see the people rejecting Stephen. Follow along with me as I read. It says, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, he performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria as well, as the province of Sicilia and Asia. They began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. So then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law They seized Stephen and they brought him before the Sanhedrin. They they produced false witnesses who testified. Though why this fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. 
Now, we have to remind ourselves that Stephen was a, uh, he was one of those deacons. <laughs> he was a deacon, all right? We just saw him installed a few verses previous, and he was a deacon. And so deacons don't think that you can just hide in the shadows and serve. We see Stephen is called out, and he's given, he's given this opportunity to be a bold witness. Earlier in our discipleship class at the 9 o'clock hour, Pastor Dan did a great job of, of helping us, of equipping us of some arguments that we can stand up against those who, who presents arguments against the Christian church. And this is exactly what Stephen is doing. And we see that the spotlight shines brightly on Stephen, this deacon. In these verses, we see a clear rejection of not only Stephen's me- message, but we also now see a rejection of Stephen, the messenger. These men of These religious rulers, they're unable to provide a rebuttal to Stephen's witness. So members of the synagogue of the freedmen, what do they do? They devise a plan to frame Stephen. They come up with false accusations. They convince others of their plan to serve as false witnesses. And they present their case against Stephen. They present it before the council, the Sanhedrin, the religious ruling council. And the false accusations, ultimately, if we, might, if we are to distill them or boil them down, these false accusations against Stephen were that Stephen rejected Moses, that Stephen rejected Moses' law, and as well that Stephen was also rejecting the temple. And ultimately, what these men were saying is the, in these accusations, these false accusations, is that Stephen was blaspheming and ultimately he was rejecting God. Now, in detailing this account, it does seem that Luke puts a lot of emphasis on Stephen's calm and controlled demeanor as he faces those who are now rejecting him. How is he described there at the end of of chapter 6 and verse 15? How, How is he described? The Sanhedrin look on him. And what did his face appear to be like? The face of an angel. So we see that there is this this calm and this controlled demeanor that Stephen has. And the reason why Stephen has such a calm and controlled demeanor is because Luke then emphasizes how Stephen is a man who was filled with the Holy Spirit. You look there in chapter 6, verse 5, as Stephen, as, as the deacons are described, Stephen is the only one who is get, where, where extra emphasis is given on the fact that Stephen was, full, was a man who was full of the Holy Spirit. Then we look in verse 8 of chapter 6, that Stephen is described again as a man full of God's grace and his power. He was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Then in verse 10, again, of our passage that I just read, it says that they could not stand up against the wisdom that the Spirit gave him as he spoke. And later in chapter 7, verse 55, as Stephen is is in the midst of about to face death through stoning, he is described again, but Stephen full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit. 
Time doesn't permit us to go to John chapter 15, but later this afternoon, go ahead in your Bible and, and write down John chapter 15, because it's there in John chapter 15 that Jesus is giving instruction to his disciples, and Jesus is telling them, he, he is saying, if the world hates me, then the world will also hate you too. But Jesus said, you mustn't fear if the world hates you because I am going to send the Holy Spirit to you to help you stand firm against that opposition. There in John 15, verses 18 through chapter 16, verse 3, what Jesus is helping them to see is he saying, yes, the world will reject you, but don't worry about that because you will have the Holy Spirit inside of you. What we see is that one of the primary reasons why Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit is so that we will not stumble in the midst or in the face of rejection. And Luke highlights, I almost wonder if maybe Stephen was standing around the perimeter of, of the wall in, in that room as Jesus is giving that instruction to his 12 disciples. If, G, if, if Stephen also heard this from Jesus, learning that the, the value, one of the greatest values of the Holy Spirit is to help you in being bold and courageous in your witness. Truly, Acts chapter 6 verse 15 gives us a beautiful picture of the peace that Stephen had as he stood before his accusers, that his face appeared like that of an angel. Church, do you remember when Moses came down from Mount Sinai? After having met with God and he received the Ten Commandments, do you remember how, how we are told that Moses' face shone? It radiated. It radiated God's glory because Moses had been in the presence of God, of his glory. And Moses even had to wear a veil to cover his face because his face, it shone so brightly. And what we see here is, is the Sanhedrin, they take note that Stephen's face is shining. It has an angelic appearance that it's shining with the glory of God. And to a greater or lesser extent, church, that is how we are to appear too. <laughs> that the glory of God shines from our faces even when we stand in front of our opposition, even when we're rejected by the world, that our face should shine with the glory of God because we are full of the Holy Spirit. Every believer, every one of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ, we are given the Holy Spirit. We're given the fullness of the Spirit to help us stand firm, to help us shine before a watching world, and what we need to do as, as believers, because I, I think of this, and, and you know, you read this account, and my thought is, boy, I want to be like Stephen. I mean, I, I, want, I want my face to shine like an angel. For some of us, that might just start by starting to smile, <laughs> right? But, I want, I want, but ultimately, it's, it's the fact that, that he's overflowing with the Holy Spirit's presence, and I'm reminded that we as followers of Jesus Christ, right, why is it that we, that our lives maybe are not filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit? It's because we've allowed other distractions to fill us. 
because we like how can the Holy Spirit fill us if we've allowed worldly, worldly things to fill us? If we are not preparing our minds and our hearts by taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ, if we are not allowing the Holy Spirit to fill us now, how will we stand firm when we stand before the opposition? If we're not, if we're, if, if we're not guarding our minds, if we're not guarding our hearts, if we're not guarding what we allow, what voices we allow to come to speak through those ear pods, if we're not taking that seriously, and if, if, that's, if those are the voices that are filling our minds and filling our hearts, then, then we're not allowing the Spirit a place. We're not giving room for the Spirit to fill us. If we're allowing our eyes to look on things that are not of the Spirit, how can we allow the Spirit to fill us? Church, it seems that day by day, Minute by minute, we should turn our attention to the Holy Spirit. And I wonder, what are you? Is, is it, ha, have we lost a spiritual power? Is, is, there, is, there, is there a power of the Spirit that we are missing out on, a fullness of the Spirit that we are missing out on because we're not taking seriously enough what we're allowing to distract us from the Spirit? We see that the people rejected Stephen, but he was able to stand before them. He was able to stand before them with a face that looked like an angel, that the glory of God radiated from, because he was a man who was full of the Holy Spirit. And so next then we move on and we see how the people rejected Jesus in chapter 7. And again, we, time doesn't permit us this morning to, to read through these as much as I would love to just, and maybe someday we can preach verse by verse through chapter 7 itself. It could be a sermon series in and of its, of its own. But in chapter 7, Stephen is answering, uh, he's, he's answering the question there in verse 1 of chapter 7 where the high priest, again, he's standing before the ruling council, before the Sanhedrin. They've presented these arguments. You've rejected Moses. You've rejected the law. You've rejected the temple. And the priest, the high priest then says in verse 1, he says, are these charges true? And chapter 7 is Stephen's response. Chapter 7, actually Stephen's sermon here is the longest recorded sermon in the book of Acts. And, and through his sermon, Stephen walks through a historical timeline that details uh, with starting all the way back with, with Abraham and going to Joseph and Moses and David, and he gets to the temple. He presents an argument that, that kind of shreds their false accusations against him. And, and what Really what Stephen is doing is Stephen is not presenting a defense. He's not the defense attorney in this chapter. Instead, he turns the tables and he becomes the prosecuting attorney to where at the end of chapter 7, he gets to the point to where he says, actually, men, I've not rejected God, but by you rejecting Jesus, you have rejected God. At the conclusion of his sermon, Moses rebukes the religious leaders. 
He rebukes the members of the council before whom he's, he's standing. And, and jump there to verse 51. Again, we've kind, of, we've kind of jumped over a lot. I would encourage you to read it. Hopefully I can summarize it here for you. But there in verse 51 of chapter 7, Stephen turns the tables on them and he presents the accusation. He says, you stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors, right? No one wants to be, no, like, like, like husbands never say to your wife, oh, you're just like your mom, right? You, you never, or, or, or don't ever say you're just like, right? We don't, and so he says, you're just like your parents here. You're just like your ancestors who rejected the prophets. He says, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet, verse 52, was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but you have not obeyed it. See, in, ser in Stephen's sermon, and so let me try to summarize it here. In Stephen's sermon, he highlights how for these men of Jewish descent and learning to follow Jesus, right? Stephen wants them to know that to follow Jesus, you've, you're not, you are not rejecting everything that you've been taught, but instead, by believing in Jesus and following him in obedience is to follow the one toward whom Moses pointed to, the law pointed to, the temple pointed to. He says, by following Jesus, you're not rejecting everything else that you've learned or been taught. In fact, by following Jesus, you're affirming everything that you've learned, everything that you've been taught, because all of that pointed to Jesus. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 and 19, Moses himself points to Jesus with these words. He says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. And, and what does Moses say in Deuteronomy 18? He says, you must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who, do, who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. So all the way back in Deuteronomy 18, Moses is saying, I am only a shadow of the Savior who is yet to come. And Moses says, listen to that Savior, obey that Savior. And so when you think about it and you go back to chapter 6, verse 7, where it, it says, and the priests became obedient to the faith, to the teachings of Jesus, what they're doing is that's a fulfillment of Moses' prophecy all the way back in Deuteronomy 18. And so by believing in Jesus, they're affirming all that the Old Testament pointed toward. But Stephen, like this good prosecuting attorney, he turns the tables on the people and, he, and the finger points right back to them. He says the temple system served as a foreshadow of Jesus. Moses pointed to Jesus. The law points us to our need for Jesus Stephen is declaring that God is not bound by the walls of the temple or the four walls of the Holy of Holies, but now because the veil has been torn, 
Direct access through Jesus Christ has been given and His presence is now poured out through the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the one to whom Moses, His law, and the temple, they all pointed, is the one through whom all the blessings are found. And it is Jesus to whom all, including the temple leadership, must submit. So Stephen says, you've rejected Jesus. And in so doing, I'm not the one who's guilty, but you are. And so what do you see then? The Sanhedrin don't let Stephen off the hook on this one, do they? Again, they, they, they're, they're not able to answer his arguments. And so because they don't have an answer to his arguments, they turn to opposition. They turn their, their opposition toward him in a violent way. And look there in verse 54 where Joel and Talitha began reading. It says, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, what did they do? They were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. They were furious and they, they gnashed their teeth at him. And they lunged toward him, didn't they? And they grabbed him, it says, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, he looked up to heaven, he saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And at this, what did they do? They covered their ears. They're screaming at the top of their voices, and they all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city, and they began to stone him. And meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Stephen, here, here, here again, what are we learning? That the people rejected Stephen, the message. Not only did they reject the message, but now they're rejecting the messenger. They rejected Stephen. They will reject you too. We see how Stephen says, you have rejected God, but here's the good news, right? Here's the hope that we hold on to. It's here in these verses is where we see that Jesus receives Stephen, that Jesus receives Stephen. Chapter 7 concludes with Stephen. He's rejected by the world, but he's received by the only one that matters. That those men who murdered Jesus, they now have their sights set on Stephen. Stephen is the first recorded Christian martyr. And for Stephen, martyrdom is the means through which Jesus welcomes Stephen into his presence. Right? That which we tend to fear most, to, to, to be physically harmed for our faith, to dare it should have happened to any of us to, to, to actually die for our faith, that which we fear the most is God's avenue of grace for Stephen. And as his accusers hurl the stones toward his body, God provides Stephen with a glimpse of what's going on in heaven. Fifty-five, verse 55, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, he looked up, he saw the glory of God. And Jesus was standing at the right hand of God. Often in Scripture, Jesus is pictured as being seated by the right hand of God. 
Here, Jesus is described as standing up at the right hand of God. And we know that Jesus' priestly work of offering himself as a sacrifice for our sins, it was finished on the cross. And so that finished work is, is the picture of that finished work is that Jesus sits down, right? That's what we tend to do after a long, hard day's work. It just feels good to sit down. It represents a finished work. But here we have Jesus is pictured as standing at the right hand of God, a picture of Jesus actively ministering to Stephen. Actively cheering Stephen on with his eyes, with Jesus' eyes fixed on Stephen. And Jesus standing in ready anticipation to welcome and receive Stephen into his presence. Our children have in the past run cross country and I am hard pressed to find a better illustration of what it seems like that must be like to be surrounded by the crowd of witnesses cheering us on as we run this race of following Jesus. And it is common as we stand near the finish line, as we cheer, as we join with a crowd of other spectators cheering our children on and saying, you can make it to the finish line. You're almost there. And it's, it is quite common for my eyes to get a bit teary. Because I often imagine this has to be what, it, what it's like. As Hebrews says that we are surrounded by a crowd, a great cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on. And what if... Could it be that Luke, as he describes this account here in the book of Acts, that Stephen is given a glimpse of the lead cheerleader? That Stephen is given a glimpse, that God pours out his grace on Stephen in those moments as Stephen is standing in the face of opposition, as the rocks are being hurled at him. What more? What more would you want to see? than to have a glimpse of your Savior, the one who died in your place, cheering you on and say, finish well, stand firm. Because when, when this is over, I'm here to receive you. In church, the same is true for us. Though we are rejected by the world, Jesus will receive us. And with this being true, I'll say it again. What does it matter if the world hates you? What, if the, what does it matter if they hurl insults at you? What does it matter if they lie about you? If they never speak to you again? 
What does it matter? In the scheme of, of all eternity, if you're fired from a job because you've stood firm on the faith, you have one who is standing there ready to receive you. And church, in the end, that's all that matters. And Stephen reminds us of this. In closing, I, as I was working on this, I was reminded of an old children's song. It's almost like uh, we're visiting some wonderful hymns this morning. I was reminded of a, a children's song that I was taught when I was a child. Those of you who grew up in the church, maybe you were taught this too. But it's the hymn I have decided to follow Jesus. So I shot Michael a text and I said, can you just lead us in a few verses of this? And if you've never sung this, don't worry. Each verse is only one line that's repeated four times. So I figure we can kind of figure this one out. But Michael is going to lead us in this hymn to reaffirm in our own hearts. Just, you just sit there and almost sing it as a prayer that Jesus would help you to stand firm in the face of rejection and opposition. All right. Thanks, Michael. Let's just sing it right from your seats right there. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning I see Jesus till I see Jesus. Help us, Lord, no, on my cross. I'll carry till I see Jesus. My cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I have decided. To follow Jesus, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning. 
the author of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. Let's get rid of the distractions. Let's make our, our thoughts, let's take them captive unto Christ. And let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Here it is. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The author and the perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Scorning its shame. And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The world will, re will reject you. But Christ will receive you. 